about 10 years ago or so, uh, there was a, a series in the States called Flash Forward. ABC ran it. I think it was just one season. I think it ran on Channel 5 here. And it was an absolutely brilliant premise. I'm not, I'm, I'm not the biggest science fiction fan, but this uh, had a very interesting sort of science fiction-y crossover um, premise. And basically the premise uh, was that uh, on the 6th of October 2009, there was a global blackout where basically everybody dropped out of consciousness in this whole time for a limited amount of time, 137 seconds. And in that time, everybody was able to see a flash forward of their life six months ahead. So going out to April 29th, 2010. Obviously, freaky thing. And obviously the, the, the really interesting and fascinating thing is, is it focused on several characters, some, um, some special investigators, um, uh, working uh, for the special services in the States who were investigating this and coming, trying to get an understanding of what was happening and what was causing this. But the amazing thing is that every individual was really affected by what they saw. Which begs the question, it's, it's an interesting question, you know, what would you and I do if we were to lose consciousness and while we're losing consciousness, have some sort of a flash forward of our life in six months time. I mean, think about this. If six months of March, you know, six months ago from, let's say the 1st of March, 2020, somebody had a flash forward, they would have been probably very confused about what was happening. I guess uh, a lot of people, if they would have known their future six months ago, would have bought shares in Zoom. It's quite amazing. The guy that owns Zoom, I mean, I can't believe it. Uh, apparently, he made uh, the, 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 the net profit jumped from 112% uh, in, in, in shares to 7.57 billion. So there's an example of somebody, you know, who, uh, you know, made a lot of money because of a sudden change that hit us globally. What would you and I do if we would have this flash forward? Hey, maybe not six months, maybe 10 years, maybe five years, maybe 25 years. How would it affect the way we live our lives? Would it change our decisions? Would it make us do something? Would it make us avoid doing something else? Those are really good questions. I guess there are many times when we wish we could know the future. There might be others who would say, hey, I'd rather not know. I'd rather just see it roll as it is. But I think the vast majority of people like to be prepared, like to have some wisdom about decisions that they should make and decisions that they shouldn't make. And Jesus is helping us in one of the parables, uh, and this is the one that we're going to look today. You remember I was telling you that the parables are simple, subversive, spiritual stories. They are stories that are fairly easy to understand, but they get under our skin and they challenge us spiritually. And Jesus uses very often images and situations that are fairly normal for the people that were listening to them. But he always challenges them and he challenges them about their life. He challenges them about their soul. He challenges, as is the case here, about eternity. 
And here is the parable that we're going to look at today. And it teaches us some principles of stewardship. Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30. Again, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on the journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also did the one with two bags of gold and gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought to the other five. Master said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in few things. You I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. To the man who received one bag of gold, he came and he said, Master, I knew you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold into the ground. See, here is what it belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So then when I returned, I would have received back with interest. So he took the bag of gold from him and gave it to the one who had 10 bags. For whoever, whoever has, more will be given to him and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Jesus is giving us some principles about how we should live our life, what we should invest ourselves in, in view of eternity. And there are several lies that I think both those in the story and ourselves as human beings can really embrace. And I think the story is knocking into touch some of those lies. Here's the first one. Lie number one, it's my stuff. You would notice from the story that every single one of those whom the master gives something, received something, the bags of gold from the master. It wasn't theirs. And the master's going away. He's entrusting them to be the stewards of the things that he's given them, knowing that at some point he will return. And everything about that was fairly usual for that culture at the time. This would have been the case. The master didn't announce when he was coming back. He didn't need to tell them how long he was going to stay for. Their job was to really administer well what was entrusted to them while he was gone away. But don't forget, the bags of gold belonged to the master. Very often we embrace the lie where we say, it's my stuff. Whether we talk about our possessions, our house, our car, the, the things that are in the bank. Uh, we keep saying, it's my stuff. I worked for it and I earned it. Or inherited it. 
And Jesus, through this parable, is reminding us that none of it is ours. It's just lent to us. Everything that we are, everything that we own, everything that we do, our time, our health, our possessions, everything is lent to us by the master himself. It's not my stuff. We need to fight against that lie because everything in our society is so self-centered and that's the lie we tend to embrace. And that's why we find it hard to be generous. That's why we find it hard to part with it because we keep saying it's ours. If we would suddenly realize that it isn't ours, we're just simply stewards, stewarding the master's resources, we suddenly would have a very different view of how life should be in the light of eternity. And this is the reminder in, in this parable that this is not ours. And to say that it's my stuff is a lie. The truth is, you and I, we are stewards. The lie is that we own it. The truth is, we are stewards. There's a reminder in Psalm 24 verse 1 where the psalmist is saying, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God is the great owner, the great master who owns absolutely everything, including myself and everything that I own, do, my future, my past, everything is his. Line number two is the very opposite. So if line number one is it's my stuff, line number two is I have nothing. I have nothing. The amazing thing that this parable is reminding us is that every single one of us, because we are the people in the parable, will get something, will have something. They all receive different amounts, five gold, bags of gold, two bags of gold, one bag of gold. But there isn't anyone in the story that doesn't receive anything. Every single one of them receives something. There's a great privilege and nobody's left out. Everybody's included in receiving that. And I love the generosity. The reality is whether it was five, two or one, it was very generous of the master to entrust them with that treasure, to be a steward of it. You see, very often we as people are very confused about our destiny when we say, I don't have anything. It's simply because we realise that we have a distorted view of our identity. It's only then when we can say, I have nothing, because we're so blessed by God. The reality, God has, God has gifted us with a lot of things, some of them very practical things like the clothes that we wear, the food that is on the table. You probably have never, never even prayed for the food that you're going to eat in about an hour or in three hours. You, you don't pray that there be water on your taps running. You, you don't realize that the shelter that you have above your head is a gift from God. And that's for starters, just think about the things that are in your bank account, the, 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 the health that you have. Everything is a gift from God. God has given you skills and talents that are just absolutely amazing. You can do stuff other people don't want to do and can't do. So therefore it's a lie to say I have nothing. We are rich. Maybe not all of us financially, but we are rich. We have things we could offer to people. Our empathy, our time, our wisdom, our comforting words. We are rich and therefore we cannot say along with those three that we have nothing. Everybody has something that is worth offering. 
And I want to say the truth. The lie is I have nothing. The truth is you are gifted. Here is a third lie. Very often we can be tempted to look around and we could say, well, I, I don't have as much as. Um, or I wish I could have as much as. We play this comparison game where we look at what we have and we compare it to other people and we feel inferior. And because we feel inferior, we feel like we don't have anything to offer. And inferiority very often breeds complacency. Because we feel like we don't have as much as other people, do you know what we're going to offer? Nothing. A big, fat nothing. And we just become sidelined by this complex of inferiority in which we're saying, I have nothing. Oh, no, I have something. But it's just not as much as so-and-so or so-and-so. Therefore, I'm just not going to contribute anything. I'm just going to step away and do nothing. Well, in this story, it's quite amazing because actually it doesn't really matter what people get. One gets five bags of gold, one gets two bags of gold and one gets one. The issue is not how much they get. It's what they do with what they get. It's not how much they get. It's what they do with what they get. There's a difference to what they receive. But the master doesn't look at the end and doesn't draw a line and reward only the one who made the greatest profit. He rewards both of them who made any profit. The one who doesn't get rewarded and gets scolded is the one that does say it with me. Nothing. So it's not about how much you have and how much you do. It's about what your attitude is in this. And very often we can be caught in this comparison game and be paralyzed by a sense of inferiority that leads to us being filled with complacency. The truth that knocks into touch that lie that I don't have as much as so-and-so is that we are adequately and uniquely gifted by God's decision. In 1 Corinthians 12, when the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, as he writes to them, he talks about spiritual gifts and he says this, to each one gifts are given just as God determines. Paul is saying everyone is gifted. And everyone is gifted as God determines. God doesn't make mistakes. We could be tempted to say, I wish he would have given me more. But God doesn't make mistakes. And the gifts that he has given to us and the amount that he has given to us is not accidental. It is God's desire for us to use whatever he's given to us. And that's the challenge that comes to us. To not compare ourselves to other people and write ourselves off and say, hey, if I am not as good, I'm just not going to do anything. But instead to be faithful stewards of that which God has given to us and not be jealous and bless those who God has given more. Because actually, the more God gives them, the greater their responsibility. So that's line number three. Line number four. Very often, and this is quite subtle, people would say, you know, I'm not called to be successful. I am called to be faithful. 
I'm not called to be successful. I am called to be faithful. And it can seem like a statement that is very noble, very humble, very affirming of somebody's desire to follow God and go the long distance and do the right thing. But actually, if we're not very careful, that's a poor mentality. When it comes both to our spiritual growth, I don't think God is just calling us to be faithful, as in stagnant. And when we're using sometimes that word faithful, we, we imagine the worst case scenario. It's almost like that marriage that kind of sticks together, but really is rubbish, you know. And they could say, hey, you know, we clocked in 65 years of marriage. But let's be honest, we hardly know each other. There's no intimacy. There's no depth. But hey, we've been faithful. I don't think that's the kind of faithfulness God is looking for. I know God isn't looking. I don't like the word success because I think it's quite tainted. And, you know, it has so many connotations that are unhelpful. But the Bible uses the word fruitful. And I think God is calling us to be fruitful. Yes, faithfulness might be part of the journey of fruitfulness. But let's not settle to just be faithful and fruitless you know you can have a church that people would say hey they've been faithful for 250 years and guess what nobody ever met jesus because of them but they've been faithful i think god has an expectation of fruitfulness to go without faithfulness and i think that's an important thing you see the master expecting that they would make some sort of a gain on what he's entrusted them. In other words, he's expecting them to be fr fruitful, not just faithful. The one guy that was rebuked by Jesus is the one that was faithful in theory. Hey, you gave me one. I kept, I didn't lose it. He was risk averse. He played it safe. He made sure that he didn't lose it. That was his focus. His focus, I don't want to lose it. Well, the other two, their focus was they wanted to be fruitful. Sometimes we as Christians can have that mentality and certainly as churches, we can have that mentality. Hey, we're just going to be, you know, not lose it. Let's just not lose it. Never mind about being fruitful. We want to be faithful. What Jesus is expecting fruitfulness is an expectation that is clear in the New Testament. I think we're misunderstanding God's heart. And I think it's actually a misunderstanding of what it means to be faithful. If we, if we really understand faithfulness to God, God has a desire for fruitfulness, for growth, for development, for our lives to thrive in Christ, for the fruit of the Spirit to be abundant in our lives. And also he wants us to be fruitful in terms of the good news presented to other people around us and the impact we have on the lives of those around us. Not just some boring people who are straight-laced and nice and moral and really... Nobody likes to be around them because they're not pleasant, they're not engaging, they're not hopeful, they're not gracious, they're not forgiving, they're not filled with love. That's not what the world is looking for. And Jesus captures that when he talks in John 15 about this fruitfulness. And he says, I am the vine, again, a beautiful pictorial uh, image from nature. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear, say it with me, much fruit. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Well, that's a promise, a promise I can claim, a promise I want to see fulfilled in my life and in our life as a church. If we remain in Christ and he remains in us, we will bear much fruit, not just tiny bits of fruit, but much fruit. 
there is an expectation of fruitfulness. This is to my Father's glory, Jesus concludes, that you bear not a little bit of fruit, much fruit. Again, the same expression. You, got, you can underline that in your Bible. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. So how do we show ourselves to be disciples of Jesus? How do we glorify God? By bearing much fruit. Or in other words, if you want to put in modern lingo, by being spiritually successful. Bearing fruits. What would be those fruits, you might say? How, what does it mean to be fruitful? Well, I think, uh, again, the New Testament is helpful to us because Paul gives a list of the fruit of the Spirit. And a lot of you might be familiar with this. And, and Galatians 2.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is God's agenda. He wants us to be fruitful, not just to settle for faithfulness. Sometimes the image of faithfulness that was embraced in the church is that of the older son in a parable of the prodigal son, where with gritted teeth, he stayed at home, didn't rebel, did the right thing, worked for the father. But boy, he was far from the father's heart. That's not the kind of faithfulness God is looking for. He's looking for somebody who, because they're faithful, they're also fruitful. As you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Therefore, we can't embrace that lie to say, hey, I, I don't want to see fruitfulness in my life because I just want to be faithful. Like that one man who was rebuked by Jesus did. He said, hey, I'm just going to settle for faithfulness. And Jesus is saying, no, I want you to settle for fruitfulness because that's the way of the kingdom of God. Final lie. I nearly lied to you. I just missed out that I had another point. It wasn't intentional, so I didn't lie. I just didn't notice in my notes that I had another point. The fifth lie is simply this. Everyone will be rewarded the same way in the end. People might say, hey, it doesn't really matter. Everybody will be rewarded the same way. And, you know, it's not true. It seems from the parable of Jesus that people will be rewarded according to their willingness to invest the gifts God has given them. That's what happens. The five bags of gold guy gets another five and he makes ten when he returns. The other gets two, makes another two, makes four. The other one just sits on one, gives him one. And it isn't, notice this, this is so subtle but so important. It isn't about the amount of profit. It's about that sense of going out and doing something with what you've got. It isn't the percentage. It isn't the profit margin. So Jesus is not saying that. It's not like you're thinking, oh, you know, I've got to go out and do good works. And if I have a lot of good works, Jesus will be very, very pleased with me. No, it's not about that. It's about the principle of fruitfulness in our lives and not doing what the one guy did. is sit on it and do nothing with it. But certainly there'll be a reward for all of them. And the two of them are praised and entrusted with more. And the one that doesn't is scolded and he doesn't get anything. And he calls him. It's really interesting because we in our language, we might say, hey, he, he was prudent. He was careful. He was sensible. Notice what Jesus calls him. Lazy. That's, that's a wake up call. That's so sobering that Jesus is calling him lazy. And that's a challenge to me and it's probably a challenge to all of us. And here is the truth. While we are saying 
Everyone will be rewarded the same way. It's a lie. We are all individually accountable with the gifts that God has given us. In Romans 14, 12, Paul is writing to the church at Rome and he says this. So then each of us will have to give an account of himself to God. That's truth. We can't hide behind other people. We're not corporate when we would stand before God, every single one of us would be like the ones that have been entrusted by the master with either five or two or one bags of gold, metaphorically speaking. And we will have to say, what did we do with that? Individually, before God. That's the truth. Not everyone will be rewarded in the same way. So here's the question as we wrap it up this morning. What did God entrust to me and you. What did God entrust us? What's our five bags of gold or two bags of gold or one bag of gold? What is it? And it's very simple. I always simply put it like this. Time, talents and treasures. Time, talents and treasures. In those three areas, there's always the things that God entrusts us. The time that he gives to us, the talents or the skills or the gifts that he gives to us and the treasures. The, the finances, the, the assets that we have. What has God given me? And, and again, I encourage you to take some time this week to just look in every single one of those three areas and ask yourself the question, if I'm meant to be a steward, because they're not mine, first thing I need to do is actually surrender them. If I've taken control of them and I'm holding on to them and I'm thinking, oh, it's mine, don't, don't touch it, don't touch it. And if my attitude is one that says, I want, I want to have control of it, that's a dangerous thing. Because in our lives, they, they'll get out of control. And if we kind of hold them, we're going to struggle. They're going to get ripped away and it's going to hurt. So the important thing is to surrender them and recognize we're stewards. To recognize that we have them. And to say, God, they are actually yours. They're not ours. Our time, our talent and our treasures None of them are ours. You, like a good master, entrusted us. And you entrusted us what we needed to have. No point looking around and thinking, I, would have, I wish I would have had that or I would have had that. No, no, no. Let's not play that game. God knows exactly what we needed, both in terms of time and talents and treasures. And then ask the question, are we actively using them for the glory of God and the blessing of other people? Are we using them? And again, maybe it's a good exercise to do, you know, to take every single one of those first three areas. How am I using my time for God, for the glory of God and for the lives of people? You know, how much of my time is all about me and my family and how much is it about God and about impacting other people? And you can apply the same thing to your talents. You know, how are my talents being used by God and they're blessing other people? And the same thing about the treasures in our lives. How much are they selfishly kept for me and how much are they being released for God to use for his glory and for the blessing of other people? And those are really, really important questions that we need to look at and engage with. And those are questions for Christians. But if you're not a Christian, if you haven't taken the step to say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to say to you this. And this, this is really important because there these are important brackets before you can do that with your life and put your your time and your talents and your treasures in God's service. The most important step you need to do is this. And actually it doesn't start with you. It starts with God. God in his kindness gave you the greatest gift. 
He gave you his son who died for your sins on the cross to give you life in eternity and fullness of life right here and right now. So it starts with God giving you a gift. And do you know the greatest gift you can give God is your own life. It's surrendering your life and saying, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And when you do that, the spirit of God comes into your life and changes your mindset, changes your values, changes your attitudes, changes your passions, and everything gets tipped upside down in the right way. And you will end up being somebody who actually becomes incredibly generous in the stewardships of those gifts that God has given you. Because now you have a different framework. And your time, your talents and your treasures are now God's. And you want to use them not just for yourself, but to bless other people. And I want to encourage you to take that step, if you haven't already made it, to become a follower of Jesus, to become a disciple, to become a Christian and do it right here, right now. All you need to do is pray a prayer and then get in touch and tell somebody so that it can guide you into the next steps of what it means to follow Jesus and give you some tips for the journey ahead. We are called to live generous lives. And my prayer is that in our everyday, we will make investments that will have an echo in eternity. I'll finish with a story I've heard about somebody who was working in Brazil and they met this 85 year old Brazilian lady who had a ring that looked like it was made from quite inexpensive tin. And the ring had a name and a date, 1932. They were quite intrigued because they looked at it and they thought, it doesn't look like something normal. I wonder if there's a story behind it. And uh, then they asked her and they said, uh, Dona Maria Julia, what does that ring signify? Where did it come from? So she leaned back in her chair and told us that in 1932, the states of Brazil were erupting in a sort of civil war. The other states were coming against the state of Sao Paulo, where people were saying, we want a constitution, we want a document that will defend the rights of the people of Sao Paulo. Dona Maria Julia told with a fierce pride and passion, I'm a Paulista. I'm a member of the Sao Paulo state and I will always be and always have been. When the rest of Brazil were coming against us and our state, we knew that we had to stand. And even if it was to the last man, we had to do it. The government of Sao Paulo put out an edict and he said this, give you gold for the good of Sao Paulo. We need weapons. We need the ability to, for soldiers to stand up against the onslaught of what's coming. And Dona Maria Julia said, my mother and my father, along with married couples across Sao Paulo, took their golden wedding rings and gave them to the state. I went into the room and I searched my belongings for something that I could contribute as an eight-year-old girl for the good of Sao Paulo. She found a silver hairbrush that had been given to her by one of her aunts. In the place of the wedding rings that her parents gave and in the place of the silver brush that she gave, they were all given a ring with a date, 1932. The inscription on the ring simply said these words. I gave my gold for the good of Sao Paulo. What a sacrifice. A sacrifice for a cause that they believed in and they were passionate. 
So let me ask you the question as I wrap up this morning. What do you and I do with our gold? What's the cause that it's worth sacrificing anything? You know, political identities or national identities or even local passion for the, the, the area we live in is nothing compared to the glory of Jesus and the changing of lives done by the good news of Jesus. Are we willing to give our gifts, including ourselves, for that cause? Because I think it's the greatest thing we could do in our lives. Amen.